Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 1041 with Ray Villeman. Walk down the street to five other restaurants, ask the staff, hey, do you love where you work? I would put money on that four out of five are going to say no. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. My name is Eric Cacciatore. I'm the founder and host of Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast. The Predictive Index, or PI, is a talent optimization platform that helps build happier and more productive teams. With the PI software, you will lower employee turnover, train your managers to be leaders, and keep your employees engaged. You can try PI for free and receive a 30-minute consultation from a certified PI partner, Ed Doherty, from One Degree Coaching. Head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash try PI. If you're tired of the other tater, you ought to try tater cakes because it's time to serve the tater your guests deserve. Tater cakes are shredded potatoes mixed with delicious flavors. All the best parts of a baked potato in the perfect handheld package from the freezer to the fryer to the guest. Serve them in a variety of different ways and in different applications. Great for dining, delivery, and to go. With all the uncertainties of the world today, we should be able to be certain that our food always has great flavor. And tater Cakes provides that comfort in every bite. Request samples at tatercakes.com. That's T A T E R K E G S.com. Tatercakes.com. This episode brought to you by Owner.com. Owner.com is the leading all-in-one platform for restaurant marketing. Owner.com powers everything from SEO-optimized websites, direct online ordering, automated email and text marketing, built-in loyalty programs, zero commission delivery, and branded mobile apps for your restaurant that's integrated right into your POS. With Owner.com, there's no contract, no hidden fees, and nothing to lose. Join thousands of restaurant owners using Owner.com to grow direct online sales, save thousands in third-party fees, and simplify their online ordering presence all in one. Book a free demo today at owner.com slash unstoppable and see why owner.com is the number one rated restaurant marketing software. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest president and ceo of tahoe restaurant group ray villeman my man ray are you feeling unstoppable today absolutely loving life beautiful i can't wait to dive in so you are here because dan over at wally said you gotta go get you gotta make a trip you're you're close enough to tahoe to make the two hour hour and a half trip over there to get ray on the show uh, just so you know he said amazing things about you he's really inspired by the, you and the work you do and um i can't 
wait to dive into who you are and how you got to where you are today. In my one hour of research, man, um, holy moly, I, I we have a lot to cover. <laughs> we have a lot to cover. Cover. I thought originally I was like, oh, you only want four restaurants. This will be easy, man. You've been you've been busy from a, for a long time. Very fortunate with my career. A uh, lot a lot of stories. If you want them, I got. Oh them. man, I cannot wait to dive in. <clears throat> Before we do dive in and find out who you are and how you got to where you are today, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, I would tell you that. Uh, all management teams, including my own, need focus and simplification of any business philosophy or mantra. And internally, we use hire right, train right, treat right. Hire right, train right, treat right. I love that, man. Dive into it. Well, it starts with uh, being very selective. I mean, every company I know says they want to hire the best. But what is the process that the applicants go through to ensure that you're filtering for the best. And it's about taking a long time to make a hire. But on the flip side of that, you want to fire quickly when you have a, a bad fit. Right. So take a long time to bring somebody in the doors, make them understand and learn your culture and interaction with your management team and even fellow employees. But when somebody's not a fit, do yourself a favor move on quickly. Got it. And then on the train ride, once you're on board, we want restaurants to make huge investments in their people. So before they go solo on the floor, they're thoroughly trained with extreme detail as to how the restaurant ideally operates. And then the final component is treat them right. And that's treating your people right. Most restaurants start with the guest. Right. We believe you start with the team. Yes. Because when you start with the team, that transfers to the guests. When you got a server that loves coming into the workplace, enjoys their fellow co-workers. Yeah, when they, treat them, they own it. Exactly. Yeah. And the guests respond to that. They see it in the, in the employee's eyes. Absolutely. And I think, honestly, if I'm reflecting on the industry, I think it's the treat them right where we mostly get it wrong. And I think that's when I say inspire, empower, and transform the industry. It really, for me, it's about treating people right <laughs> and getting to the point where you know this is a career for people, and there's a, an abundance amount of opportunity and security in this industry. So that's really what we're trying to do. Uh, so take me to the beginning, man. Where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Going all the way back to the '90s, I think, right? So, like uh, most college age adults, uh, you don't really know what you want to do with your life or what what, what direction should a career take. And getting through college, I waited tables and I bus tables. My first job was a busboy. And uh, it was for Bennigan's back in Houston, Texas. And um, I owe it to them to learning how the chains put in systems in restaurants. Uh, But while I was there, I I loved the social life. Restaurants are very social. And uh, I was fortunate to go through each and every position in the restaurant, working for them while I attended college. Okay. So, so where'd you start? <clears throat> uh, like, were you like a, like a, I was, a busser? I was, or? A, I was a busser. Started off as a busser, quickly graduated up to a server. Uh, next stage was bartender. And bartending back in the 80s, this is, we're talking late 80s, uh, was the prize position in a restaurant because the tips were the highest 
and you didn't have to run around the restaurant. And the way I entered into the kitchen was during a lunch shift, I, I go to the kitchen expo line to uh, pick up food for one of my guests. And I noticed the assistant manager fighting with one of the line cooks. Okay. And they're screaming at each other and in each other's face. And I quickly run between them and say, hey, guys, let, let's chill out. We got a lunch rush going. And the line cook takes off his apron, throws it in the manager's face, and walks out. And the manager looks like, you know, he's, he's in shock. And he says, hey, Ray, can you cover and watch the front of the house? Uh, I'm going to go into the kitchen. I was like, you're not going into the kitchen. Let me go into the kitchen. Like, we need you out here. Yeah. And he's like, you would do that? And so that was my entry into the kitchen world, uh, being thrown onto the fry hotline in the middle of a shift. <laughs> so you, so in all these different roles that you're, you were working, um, what was the one thing at this point in your career in the eighties where you were like all in, like, is this what you wanted to do? Or are you still thinking this is just what I'm going to do for now? This is my summer job. Well, I'm, I'm trying to make money to go back to college. Did this, uh, you said it was Bennigan's correctly. Bennigan's Bennigan. So at some point at Bennigan's, do you say this is this might be what I want to do? Did you fall in love with it, or was it strictly just a social aspect? Social aspect. Okay. Making money and social. Is there any huge lesson for you during this time, or should we keep going? Because we got a lot of career to cover. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just the the life lesson is enjoy the. You want to make sure you're with a company where you enjoy coming into work, enjoy the work atmosphere. Restaurants take a bad rap for uh, screaming chefs and uh, unruly owners that are hungover from the night before, whatever. You know, make sure you work for good people. Right, right. Um, so when did you start living more intentionally and thinking to yourself, this might be my path? So I graduated from college in 89. Okay. <clears throat> and then, uh, like anybody, I go to job fairs. I'm like, I'm not sure what I want to do. Right. I got a degree in political science and a minor in physics. I thought I wanted to go to law school, but by that time I was burnt out on school. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, I probably wasn't qualified for law school. Why not? I uh, didn't have the grades. I was very social in college. Yeah. I, I viewed college as just a blast. It was a right. fun time. And, uh, and so I go to a job, my first job fair. And the companies that were most interested in my resume, now you got to remember, my resume includes mostly just restaurant right. work. And uh, they invited me into management. They go, you got a degree, you've got supervisory experience, you've worked every position of a restaurant, we want you. Yeah. I don't think people give themselves enough credit for working in the restaurants and how much that like galvanizes you. The restaurant industry is a hard place to be successful. Like Correct. if you're good at this work, if you have a talent for being able to like literally just like morph on the spot in a, in a like a tune to the table you're at or to be able to pivot and work front of house and then go work back of house and then go work behind the bar like not everybody can do that the yeah. amount of skill set you need to be that adaptable we don't give ourselves enough credit not at all uh and and you know as we dive into some of the challenges and successes in this industry i've been able to boil it down into uh, four critical areas of the attributes and the skill set that people need 
to uh, to to be successful in the restaurant. What business. are those four critical areas? Well, we're jumping ahead, which is fine with me. Maybe um, a little teaser. <clears throat> Just so the, 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 those areas. So the four critical pillars that you must build on in order to be successful, in my opinion. First, everybody knows location, 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 but not location it by itself is critical it's how you negotiate a lease okay so how many times have you heard uh, a mom and pop story saying we we love cooking we love uh, food we're going to open up our own restaurant what experience level do they have with site selection right. and negotiating a lease not any most independents have don't even have a concept of what uh asking for it tenant improvement dollars right they is. don't have the language they don't know what to say they don't know how to speak they don't have to look for it to ask for how to talk exactly they don't yeah. have the budget to go get a lawyer right. that's experienced with lease negotiations or a broker and so well, brokers are i think are free and so locations <laughs> are identifying and negotiating the proper lease is critical right that's one leg of the four legged stool yeah and just stay surface level like that because we're going to unpackage these later when we, okay when we get to the current time and then uh second is uh, concept. So I've had plenty of people approach me and say, now I want to get into the restaurant business. I hear you're the man to talk to. I could really use some guidance. And, uh, I, you know, the first topic that they always want to talk about is their concept. And I try to reshape the conversation and ask first and foremost, what, how they chose that concept. So let's say you're going into an area uh, with an Italian restaurant. I feel like I need to stop you because I, I I want to save a teaser. I don't want to I don't want to I want to leave some uh, some juicy for later. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So right now we have location concepts. Concept. What's the What's the third one? Um, third one is probably my biggest priority for people that ask me what's needed: management experience. And with management experience, in, that should include. Your ability to set up systems for your people to follow. So the biggest reason for failure in our industry is the dentist that sells his practice and says, I have a love of food. I'm getting into restaurants. No experience managing and understanding how restaurants should work. Right. No right. training ground. Right. Um, what's the fourth? Capital. Capital is essential to sustaining your payroll as you're building your business, as your sales are growing, hopefully. It, it's it's the oxygen your business needs in order to survive the first critical months, but then to thrive, yes. whether it's through marketing or, right. you know, <clears throat> et cetera. So those four pillars, again, are location, concept, um, management, experience, and capital. We are definitely coming back to that. Going back to your timeline, you were identified as somebody who has management experience, and people wanted you for management. That's where, with this job fair, that's where you were. So what was next for you? So next for me was, okay, I, I can I can dive in. I got to make money. I got to su- survive and pay my bills. Right. Which Which restaurant group should I go with? That was the big burning question. And I'm very curious by nature, so I started researching and studying. If I'm going to work for a, a restaurant chain, I want to work for the best. I want to work for somebody that's growing. I want to work for a company that has opportunity. And at the time, serendipitously, I happened to be walking through a mall in Atlanta, Georgia, and we came across 
the second, I believe it was the second or third California pizza kitchen in the oh, country. Wow. Second or third? Yeah. So I think it was number two. How many did they open a total at one point? A couple point? hundred. Oh, wow. So you yeah. got in real early. Yeah, got in real early and fell in love with the product. And of course, you want to love, love the product that you're representing Absolutely. and selling. And I joined them and they started training me in Chicago, Illinois, uh, at, at their locations up there. Okay. So. What was it about your decision making that made you want to go corporate? It it wasn't so much uh, you know corporate versus independent. My logic was where is the greatest stability in terms of income generation right. for myself. I I viewed independence as nice and family oriented, but I needed to learn the business. I wanted to learn from the best. Right. I was just going to say, um, like when I first started this podcast, I was all about trying to teach the mom and pops of the world what the big companies know, right? And I was really trying to move the, the I don't know, try to level the playing field. So like if you were passionate about food and beverage, you wanted to open your own restaurant, you had the skills and the resources available to you to compete with big guys. Uh, the, and I wouldn't really, I mean, I try to avoid talking to the big operations, but the more I started getting into it, the more I started realizing that a lot of these giant big corporations aren't evil. Uh, and right. if anything, um, to attract onto yourself the people you need to scale, you need, you need to be growing. You need opportunity, like you need to create opportunity for others. The only way you can do that is by growing. So I think you were spot on to go with a company that was young, that was growing, because that's where all the opportunity is. Exactly. In addition, it's what has brought me to where I am am today. Our Tahoe Restaurant Group is a cross-section of taking the best elements from the chain world and the best elements from the independent world. So you got the family, know each other's name and siblings and deep relationships in the community, but we have the chain mentality of how to run a business efficiently, productively with systems. Right, right. So it's the combination of the two that we have found our sweet spot. I love that. I think we'll probably unpackage that more later. So you land on California Kitchen. They send you up to Chicago to do the training. At this point in your career. This is 91, correct? I believe it was 91. Yeah. Sorry. It's been a while. <laughs> it has been a while. Over 30 years. It's incredible. So were you thinking to yourself, this is what I want to do. This is my path. I'm going to be a, a restaurant professional. Not at all. I, I was uh, focused on how do I get promoted? How do I learn as much as I possibly can uh, and keep growing. Did you have an internal a goal with California Kitchen? Like, did you want to get to a certain point? Initially, it was I wanted to be the general manager. Okay. And then once you reach that, you want to the next, next level, the next level. But, uh, you know, I moved around with California Pizza Kitchen for a couple of years. I opened up a store in St. Louis. I then went to Virginia and then Bethesda, Maryland. And then eventually transferred out to California to be with my future wife. Okay. Um, this is all with California. This is all with okay. California Pizza Kitchen, and I loved the core group that I worked with. Um, my coworkers were were just phenomenal. To uh, uh, so engaged with the excitement of opening restaurants, we we had this core team that 
we just thought, thought we could accomplish anything together. So that's what you're mostly doing is traveling, going, and like being the what what I would call a culture carrier, right? You're like you're going to that new location. You're bringing a team with you, and you're setting the standard from day one with this opening team. Is that what's happening? It's pretty. That's pretty accurate. Um, it, at the time, you don't necessarily realize that's what they're utilizing you for, but um, they were looking for the people with the strongest work ethic, the best attitudes, right? Uh, coachability. Setting that standard from day one. And so we thought we were special, right? Like, well, you oh, you're on the opening <laughs> team. And, you know, and they made us feel that way. That's important, though. It's, people, I, I'm, I probably reference Maslow's hierarchy of needs way too often. But, you know, we, you, we already talked about the importance of uh, growth. We talked about the importance of security and stability. We also talked, now we're getting into the significance of being seen. Uh, all those things are so important. Like, you can't just take your people for granted. You have to build them up. You have to make them feel special. It sounds like they did that. And I think it was more organic mm-hmm. than it was intentional. I think restaurant owners need to be intentional. And that's one of the biggest uh, things that's missing from our industry is if I have, for example, currently I, I think I have 30, 30 managers, salaried managers. Where do we give them professional development, both internally and externally? Where are they learning from? I mean, there's no restaurant. I mean, there's hospitality schools, but those are highly academic. So say those who come before them, those who come before them. Um, but my bigger point is, we should really, as an industry, start thinking about uh, an outsourced complement to their professional development. An outsourced complement to their professional development. So. I would love to be able to find a company that I could send my assistant managers a week uh, to receive uh, management soft skills such as uh, progressive discipline training, uh, proper termination of employee training. You know, I don't know these gentlemen well, but through interviewing many of their um, I don't know how you would even the people that have come through their organizations, uh, Thomas Keller, um, you know, uh, who and I mean, there's a whole list of these people. The other guy, Michael Mina, M- Mina, yeah, that's another <laughs> one of them. Like, there's like, this little bit. I don't want to call it a click, but it's a network of, of well-known Michelin star chefs, and I think that they've actually done a really good job at this. One thing I've noticed about those independent operators, the Michelin star, James Beard winners, is that they have a very tight network of of people that they pass around between the, 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 those organizations and they they're doing it so like that their people feel like they're staying fresh that they're learning and that they're getting different perspective is that what you're talking about something like that like like a stage professional uh, similar to a stage that what you're referring to is typically chef driven food driven which i think they do an amazing job at they, they take care of each other's uh, professional development but i'm talking about more structured right there, there's, there's a million restaurants in this country. How many assistant managers get the proper training? How many supervisors get the right. proper training? I was going to say one of those pillars you mentioned was the management experience. How do you like, go and get that exposure perspective? And I think the other thing, too, that this industry is kind of guilty of, too, is doing the same thing over and over again. Like We, you, we all use the same business model. And I just think that it's important to see other people's business models. How are they generating revenue? Are they doing the same, the, the stereotypical ten percent, fifteen percent profit, or are they using 
um, like you know, reoccurring continuity programs where there's like memberships or they're using different technology to add better experiences that you can charge for. You know, yep. like yep. getting outside this box of like just giving, 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 but give, but also know when there's different tiers of experience that you're delivering to different people who want that different level of, of experience and charging for absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think technology is bringing us uh, more exposure to those different models. Right. You know, for the first time, you know, the pandemic really promoted uh, third-party delivery systems, right? Yeah. Ghost kitchens. Like, these are things that we hadn't seen prior. Right. So, so it's definitely evolving. Yeah. Uh, I think there was more good that came out of the pandemic than bad. And it, take, it took a little time, a little hindsight to get out of it to realize that a lot of good came from that. Whenever there's disaster, there's almost always positivity on the back end of it. Um, but back to your story. So you're, you're traveling the country. You're, in, you're back in California. You're, you're going around. You're opening restaurants. Um, where are you? What's your title at this point? Like, when, How long were you with California Kitchen? I was with them a couple of years. Um, I became a opening GM. Like I got to open up stores. If you were flexible at the time, if you were mobile and you were single, they would move you around. But uh, my highest title was GM. So, but it, it, you were, you had to be selected for openings as well. Got it. If that makes sense. And um, in '92, Boston Chicken at the time, uh, which eventually became Boston Market, recruited me um, as they were just beginning their entrance into Northern California. Wow, so you were only with California Kitchen going around all these different places for about a year, a little over a year? Two years. Two years? It's impressive. So how did you stumble upon Boston Market or Boston Chicken at this point? We were opening up a restaurant, a California Pizza Kitchen in Bethesda, Maryland. Okay. And we took the opening team, as we commonly do, out to dinner, and we stumbled across this little concept called Boston Chicken. And it was the first time I'd seen anything like this rotisserie-based concept. And I fell in love with it. And I, I, I give the GM my card, and I was like, I'd love to know if you're ever going to be on the West Coast. I'm moving to the West Coast. And that's, that was the introduction. That was my sharing interest in their concept. And inevitably, I got a call, and uh, they were wanting to build a team to blow out Northern California. Do you remember what it was about their concept that really resonated with you? Um, I can share with you my first experience with that opening team. We walk in, and I'm, I, it looks like a, a, a deli, right? I don't know if you remember Boston Chicken's uh, initial. I think I've been in one. Yeah, their, their setup life. is you, you walk down a, a, a both a cold and hot line. And you're picking out your, your sides that go with rotisserie chicken. And we walk in. I'm looking. I'm starting to look. I get greeted almost immediately. Not only do they say, hi, welcome. They reach over the counter and they're like, here, try some of our cream spinach. And I look up and I was like, I'm sorry. I can't stand spinach. <laughs> and the person says, if you don't like this cream spinach, we'll buy you lunch. I was like, I'll take that. <laughs> take this cream spinach. Uh, you know, wasn't excited about it. I started tasting it, and I, I was sold. I, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't lie and say I didn't like it. Yeah. And so it was that level of detail of their a fast, casual concept where employees were engaging with the customer, sampling the customer uh, in, in a 
neighborly uh, way. Right. Finding that balance between throughput and customer experience and not right. making it about just getting as many people up, but really like having a high touch, engaging yeah. conversation with somebody. Exactly. And I think Boston Market doesn't get enough credit for being kind of like the like the like pioneer. This is like mid nineties, early nineties where they were a fast casual. And they they had a well, I mean I'm I'm surprised they're not around to this day. It was almost a bulletproof concept. Yeah, they they've been through their struggles, a couple bankruptcies. They were over leveraged. I mean that's a whole nother story of uh, poor financial uh, structure. What was one of those pillars we talked about? Capital. Capital. Yep. Capital. Yep. I'll be bringing that back to the, the surface. Of, Good. I, I feel like a few times as we go forward. So they they reach out to you in '92. What what was the the first? Were you a manager out of the gates, or how did they hire you? So with um, Boston Chicken, uh, they structured the company. It's a franchise, but they only had 32 area developers. They didn't have a thousand franchisees Mm -hmm. they had 32 growing the concept so we opened up uh we went from i joined them when they had 100 restaurants through 1200 in three years when were they established you know um it would have been late 80s early 90s Uh, no like 89 90 so they're growing fast at this point they're going very fast yeah and uh I think, you know, it had to be 80s. They, they definitely were opened up in uh, 88 or 87. So it wasn't a franchise, but they had area developers. Franchise area developers. Okay, that's what it was. So what they were looking for were restaurant groups that were established in different areas, or you had to have deep restaurant experience. Okay. So I'll give you an example. Uh, they would look for, today, they would look for uh, a restaurant group that, say, owned 20 restaurants in Minneapolis and they'd go to them and say do you want to add Boston Chicken to your portfolio we want you to open up all of Minneapolis that's sort of a structure Got it. so our group uh, 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 the CEO and the, the, the partner had very deep experience with restaurants as their career they put up a lot of money upfront capital to start the group and they committed to 60 restaurants in Northern California. Oh, wow. Up front. Wow. And so we went hard. That sounds like it. So, I mean, what did you learn about going that hard, though? Well, uh, so you asked what position did I join in. Uh, I was um, uh, an assistant director of training. Okay. So opening opening store, open, new store opening um, director slash, you know, ran the training program. And, and it was a great experience. I mean, the systems I learned there were some of the best. Uh, they invested heavily in their people. Now, the misstep was um, where when we became a publicly traded company, the public markets and, and uh, shareholders tried to dictate growth. And they want growth. They want excitement. They want news. And the growth that we, the growth path that we were on was unsustainable. We kept signing leases that what were was, too expensive. Okay, so what what made it unsustainable? I'll give you an example. Before I, the, in the last year before I uh, resigned, um, I was averaging it was either three, probably on average three new store openings a month. Wow, and. 
you know, wow. it, it was, I, I didn't know my team's names by first names. Like I, I was losing track At of that point. It becomes transactional. It becomes very transactional. Yeah. And so, uh, when I had employees, spouses coming up to me and saying, why are you pushing the team this hard? Why is my husband working a, a 14 hour day on Thanksgiving? Why is, you know, these types of questions I knew, you know, I knew well before that it, it wasn't healthy. What was the answer to the why? If you could answer them today, knowing what you know, what was the answer? Whether they wanted to hear the truth, you know what I'm saying? If you're telling, if you're answering that question, like honestly to them through the filter you have today, like what are you saying candidly to them? Uh, you know, we were honest back then, but hindsight's always twenty twenty. Right. The response is, look, your husband has joined a fast growth concept. This is what he signed up for. Unfortunately, it appears to be too much. I agree. This industry requires, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's laborious. It's, it's, uh, it's it's very blue collar in the sense that you have to have an amazing work ethic, yeah. and so it wasn't a fit for that family. Well, I mean, in, in full transparency, what I was getting at uh, was was the why because shareholders wanted to grow, and we wanted to keep shareholders happy. That was one component. Yeah, you know, because there's there's never ever one simple answer, right? We're we're always juggling. Um, different needs. So in my restaurant group, for example, we're juggling the needs of employee, mm-hmm. the guest, the shareholder, and the community. Mm-hmm. We're always juggling those because we strive for wins across the board. Yeah. We don't believe like in that Boston chicken case, they were sacrificing the employee experience for the sake of growth and, and financial you know, gain and return to their shareholders. In an ideal world, our restaurant group strives to make sure everybody wins in the equation. Right. If you if you have a touch point with our restaurant, it's got to be a win-win. When you're scaling at two to three locations a month, is that possible? I don't think it's it's definitely possible. You can do anything. Yeah. I don't think it it uh, speaks well for sustainability, for um, continuation of a, a, of a healthy culture. Uh, you get burnout. You get all the symptoms of uh, why restaurants fail. You, you know, they start yeah. to bubble up. Yeah. So you um, were with Boston Chicken for, or Boston Market for how long? Uh, two and a half years. So Almost three years. 94? Yep. And then yep. you had one more stop with uh, uh, World Wrap. In, in 95... Uh, I get recruit. I, I put in my resignation when I was getting promoted. What were you getting uh, promoted from? Or well, two, I, mean. I was already uh, uh, assistant director of training. Yeah, and then I became director of training. Okay, and they wanted me to move over to uh, Einstein Bagels. They had just bought Einstein Bagels. So, were you the director of training for this local this franchise? Yes, not yes. all of Boston. Not all of Boston. Yeah. And so, uh, I put in my resignation when they were giving me the promotion. And I just told them I did not agree. They asked, why are you leaving? You know, you're getting promoted. And I was like, I just don't agree with the business philosophy and how people are being treated. What was that business philosophy? It was growth at all costs. 
and this group also owned, they also bought into Einstein. So they're moving you from Boston Market to Einstein to do the same thing. Yes. And you're like, I don't want to spend the next two years doing what I just did the last two years. Yep. <laughs> Basically. That's, yeah. That's so, sorry, did I cut you short? No, it's good. So um, so you decide to, what was it about World Rap? Because that, that was the next stop yeah. on your journey, right? What so was different about World that? Raps was an interesting first of its kind concept. So uh, they at the time they were the creators of what we know as today of the wrap. Really? So taking a tortilla and putting anything inside of it. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. If you look up nation's restaurant news and all the articles, they won hot concept back in 95. Uh, my, it was my wife who actually introduced me to the concept. I was opening up a Boston chicken on the same street as uh, the first world wraps. And, uh, we walked down to the world wraps and there's a line of 30 people outside the door, just a line down the street, literally. And I was like, what is going on here? And that was what first caught my attention. Then I tasted the product and then I met the owners. And so it was a combination of, uh, events leading up to, uh, my joining the group, uh, a quick background on the group. They were four friends that came up with the concept while they were vacationing in Mexico together. So they were eating a burrito, and they're like, man, what would it be like to have Thai food inside of this tortilla? Or literally anything. Or literally any, <laughs> yeah. anything. It's just a, a great idea. It's just a holder, right? Yeah. And uh, It's a vehicle to it, get the food to your mouth. Yep. And so they had opened up their first one, big, big rave reviews. Uh, they were starting to open up their second one. They started interviewing because they were raising money fairly easily to grow. And uh, I said, I would, I would join if I could uh, obtain shares, if I could, one, invest. So you came out, came out with, with two locations? Yeah, wow. two, two locations. So one, you wanted to invest? One, I wanted to invest. Two, I wanted uh, shares to invest over time and feel as if I was a partner in this venture. And they gave that to me. Wow. Um, with your time there so that's 94 when this is your last stop before going on and do your own thing or you, I, I saw that you joined so, the, so, the California uh, Restaurant Association too yeah so I was with uh, World Wraps um, through 98 four years uh, three three plus it was three plus so in 95 I would have joined them so you, two locations how many locations do they have when you left 30 holy moly yeah so that's a good investment you would think. Oh no! What happened? <laughs> <laughs> we raised fifteen million from venture capital uh, funds in Silicon Valley. Same groups that backed PetSmart, Starbucks, all the big names. And as we were growing, so so with that fifteen million, we were just cranking out stores. And the unit economics were going well. We had a phenomenal team. I probably worked more there than I did at Boston Chicken, but it was a different level of excitement yeah. and passion because now I'm a partner. Right. You're invested. Right? You just get in the game. And I had to create the ops manual. I had to create the management training manual. I had to create systems for this new concept. So there was there was not enough time in the day. Yeah. And we're growing along. We're cruising. We get to a board meeting where they typically would write checks for the new next couple of stores that we need to open. And the fund says, well, we've got some news. Uh, we're closing our fund. We're exiting our positions. And we're going to sell world reps. And at the time, we, we had no clue why they were doing this. 
they tried to explain it, but it was it was more like we were in shock. And uh, essentially, the fund had achieved so much success in their other investments. When you say a fund, what do you mean? You're kind of losing uh, it. A private equity fund. Okay. So the people that they went to to get the initial capital to scale, the $15 million to scale over the next, so whatever many years, it was so successful that that's where you're going with it. So the, the fund had this, this there, there were a number of funds that invested the $15 million. So let's say there's three or four different private equity funds. Got it. What they do is they, they go out and raise $100 million and they and World Reps was just one of 20 concepts, 20 businesses that they would invest in. And one of their investments was Netscape, which eventually got sold to AOL. And it was, it, it was massive for them. And so once a fund grows or doubles in size, they look to exit all their investments and start to raise money for fund number two. And that's the cycle for in their investment strategy. Okay. And we were just a casualty. Uh, and no had, success. Had, had, yeah. Had no, nothing related to how well we were doing, how profitable we were. They just needed to exit their investment. And At this so, point, you're just an asset to them that you can yep. trade. Yep. yep. And they sold us under market, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So I did not have the big score I was hoping for. Right. I feel like this is when it comes to, this is back to like finding that balance. Like the, there's good and bad to like the big companies and the small companies. And how do we find that middle ground of when we are, when, when the organization is successful, everybody wins. That's right. Right. Like how do we find that balance? Um, what, what goes through your mind when I say that? Um, I, I, I've been searching for that formula and that answer for many years. Yeah. And I've tried to incorporate it into my restaurant group. Are you familiar with Simon? Sorry, did I cut you short? Um, I want to make sure I finish your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, so, please. so for me, you're 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 reminding, or your 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 question starts to position, or brings to my mind this idea of an employee-owned type organization. Esops. Esops. Now, Esops aren't exactly easy to execute on. You need like almost like hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get the lawyer right. to, to, to get the paperwork right. Right. So we've explored it, yeah. but I can only share what's working for me and how I've tried to solve uh, uh, the, this this uh, challenge in our industry. So our restaurant group has four restaurants plus a fifth licensed restaurant. Over the years, I've had my senior management team grow with me so I have employees that have been with me 20 years from the very beginning. Uh, you know, 15 to 20 years is my senior management team. That's, that's, uh, that's the beginning. Yeah, that's the beginning. So that's five core people that were with me for a very long time. Those are the ones that get rewarded in my mind first because they were along, along for the ride. Sweat equity. Sweat equity over the years. And so... Starting with restaurant number two is when I started to include those senior members with allowing them to invest. My, my logic was, why am I, on average, I take two investors per restaurant. Why should I get money from an outside, uninvolved participant versus an employee who might be able to uh, get some money 
to invest from their parents or grandparents or family money. And so I started that process and matching them with, okay, let's say you bought enough to own 5% and you have equity. Well, the sweat equity takes you to another 5%, almost like a matching. So now I started creating partners within our group. Yes. So all ships start to rise. Yeah. This is the model that I've explored um, that I think is best. It's, it's creating opportunity for people and giving your line, like your frontline people, the opportunity to, to buy in at one point. If this restaurant is worth a million dollars, can you come up with $10,000 mm-hmm. to, to own a point of this restaurant or whatever, you know, yep. like, yep. and then now they have stake and they have, they, and from there they can continue to add more or, you know, buy more equity over time and build their wealth. And then as the, the group grows, they will continue to invest their, their money into it. So there's caveats to this. What are the caveats? Because you, you have to, uh, people have tried to follow this model and they come back to me and they're like, you know, Ray, you know, the employee, the manager is making a ton of money. They're getting lazy. They're not in, in, as involved in the restaurant as they used to be. Uh, they're getting comfortable financially. I always emphasize to my partners that achieve. So in my organization, you go from employee to supervisor to assistant manager to general manager. Then you become a partner. And typically it takes five to seven years before we know you are a partner. You're, you're on track to be a partner. So you know that they have the culture fit because you've got five exactly. years of being there. And yeah. Once you've earned you that, have you're to one of it. us. You have to earn it. Yeah, that, I don't, like that. Don't That's, make the mistake of doing this out of the gate, okay? You, yeah. you, don't, you don't just go out and hire somebody off the street and say, oh, you want to be a partner in our road? No, you don't. It's like treat it as if you're getting married. Yeah. Right, you're not going to get married on uh, on uh, to a stranger. Right, I wonder if there's a way to work in something in the agreement where, like, if, if you start, like, you know, if you buy in and like you're not meeting the expectations that we list out here as partner, we retain the right. The group retains the right to buy your share back and kick you out. So the way I believe it should be designed is you first start off with the sweat equity, which is commonly referred to as phantom stock. So Eric, let's say you're my kitchen manager. You've been with me for three, four years. You've earned uh, the right to be considered like, hey, get me on the bonus program, Ray. Like, get me, you know, I, I want to keep moving up. So I say, okay, for the four years that you've demonstrated uh, your commitment, your loyalty, your your ability to execute, we're, we're going to give you a 3% of profits as a bonus. And... You can look at the PL. I share the PL with you. We review it together. You know you're going to get 3%. But if anything should change, that's just a bonus. I'm not giving you equity. I'm not giving you shares yet. This is a teaser or a test to see if you can shift from employee mentality to owner mentality. It's, it's not easy for everybody. No. Right? And so you're given this bonus structure that mirrors as if you owned 3% of the restaurant, but you don't really own it. So as you get past that hurdle and you come up with 25000 you know, any number of amount of money and we allow you to buy in. Now, 
that you, you're you're buying real shares. So let's say you buy another three percent. So now you got three percent in equity, three percent in your bonus, your operating bonus. Combine that six percent of the bottom line. That's real money. If you choose to leave, or God forbid, you get terminated, we get we have the right to buy back that three percent. And the operating bonus that mirrored your equity goes away. It does not continue because you no longer work for the company. Yeah. How could you get a bonus when you no longer work for the company? Right. right. So you need to retain that right to take those shares back at fair market value. Okay. That was my next question. Like, is yeah. it what they bought in at or what they, Should, or how they help if they grew for five years and the value is more, more. Every, like, every owner, owner has a differing opinion about this. Like, I gave this to you. It's my gift or whatever uh, that I gave you this opportunity. I'm buying it back for the same amount you put into it. I don't believe that's fair. I believe if you continue to work for us and you're a key component with our success, you need to share on the upside. Right. It, it, it's as if I were to sell the restaurant today, that 3%. You bought into was twenty five thousand. Yeah. Well, now it's worth seventy five. You need that, right? I think that's the ethical thing to do. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm saying that with somebody who doesn't have millions of dollars invested into a restaurant group, you know. But <laughs> right. no, it's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate to be able to sit here today. The thing I'm most proud of with my career is the six partners that I've uh, brought on since twenty years ago. And the level of financial success that they've achieved, uh, one of them participates in three, three of the restaurants' financials. Um, another one, two of the restaurants. Uh, another one, two of the restaurants. Um, they they share in the success that we're achieving. I think that's how it should be, though. I mean, the well, pie is always better when shared, isn't it? Isn't that so? How come we don't this? see this? How, you've you've done how many interviews and how many owners have given up? shares of their company to their employees. I think it's becoming more and more popular. I think more and more people are realizing that you cannot do it alone. If you want to be the best, you need a team of people who treat it like they own it, who are as bought into it as you are. And the only way to get people to buy into it is to literally let them buy into it. Yes, but here's my here's my point. Not many to In answer In terms your of bonuses... <laughs> And I want to make sure I get this right. Bonuses combined with uh, equity that they've bought into. So equity and bonuses for our partners exceed over a million a year to them. That's amazing. So how many owners are willing to give that portion up? But what do you get in return for giving that up? I get to fulfill the legacy that I want to leave behind that I've been a part of improving my community, improving the lives of people that have dedicated themselves to my company, our company. Who are you going to attract onto yourself by doing this? Well, the stories, you, I, I would encourage you to chat with my team, um, but success begets success. So there's a reason why we're at the top of the food chain, literally here in Tahoe, as considered one of the best restaurant groups to work for, uh, one of the most well-respected restaurant groups in our community. Um, we have very high standards. We're very involved uh, in giving back. And when 
you're one of the six partners within our group and the manager says, where's, where's my career headed with you guys? Where, what can I achieve here? I send them to, to the partners that have achieved that success. And so that level of motivation and inspiration re- reaps huge benefits. Yeah, and I have to do a little research. If I have time to talk to people before my interview starts, I talked to Tara before we got started. And I was like, how long have you been here? She's been here for seven years. You yeah. know, like how often do you stumble upon, I don't know her official title. I'm assuming general manager. She's a supervisor. 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 Seven years. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, and I just, I had, had the ability just to ask random people, like, how long have you been here? Another person, four years. I think another person said three years. Like, those don't sound like long periods of time, but in the industry, that's pretty good. It's very good. Yeah. We, we have a, if I were to share with you our retention uh, numbers, it's, it's well far above average. Yeah. Um, I love this little rabbit hole we dove into because there was tons of value in it. I just let it go. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about why you exited uh, World Wrap. World, World if you're tired of the other tater, you ought to try tater cakes because it's time to serve the tater your guests deserve. Tater cakes are shredded potatoes mixed with delicious flavors. All the best parts of a baked potato in the perfect handheld package. From the freezer to the fryer to your guests, tater cakes comes in a variety of flavors, including bacon, cheddar, chive, buffalo chicken, bacon, jalapeno, and more. And I got to hone in a little bit deeper here on this deliciousness. Bacon, cheddar, chive features creamy cheddar cheese, big bacon bites, sour cream and a hint of chives and of course crispy crunchy potatoes Mm, sign me up for that you can serve them in a variety of different ways and in many different applications great for dining delivery and to go with all the uncertainties in the world today, we should be certain that our food always has great flavor, and Tater Kegs provides that comfort in every bite. Request samples at taterkegs.com. That's T-A-T-E-R-K-E-G-S.com, taterkegs.com. Most business problems are people problems, people not understanding each other, and the predictive index helps to increase that understanding between others. Hi, I'm Ed Doherty. I am the founder of One Degree Coaching here in Philadelphia. Predictive Index is a talent optimization platform. It's been around for over 55 years. It helps leaders to build happier, high-performing teams. My name is Eric Cacciatore. I'm the founder and host of Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast. As somebody who's gone through the PI process, I can tell you that knowing who you are, knowing who your team is, can help you be far more intentional than you've ever been with your business. If you want to learn more about PI and get to work with Ed, head to Restaurant unstoppable.com slash try PI. If you click the link, sign up for PI, you can create a provisional account. I will set up an opportunity to talk to you directly and read your results and give you a little tour of the platform. See if it works for you. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash try PI. We are back. And where we laugh left off in terms of your timeline, you were just leaving the uh, rap world. World rap? Yep. Rap world? World, world raps. <laughs> and, um... You had mentioned, like, I like to say that restaurant, you talked a lot about the businesses you're working for and what they were doing, but really what I've learned behind every great organization is a great person or people. So how have, how have you personally transformed up to this point in the timeline when you're about to depart World Wrap? So World Wraps would be the best example of building a culture that actually people care so much about the company that they're willing to make significant sacrifices. So my personal example is I went to stretch with World Wraps where I worked nine months without a day off. 
and that's not healthy. It's not reasonable. But I was so engaged, so excited, uh, so having so much fun working with the team that we put together. Um, it didn't feel like work, right? So uh, World Wraps uh, forced me to think about the key components of systems with a growing chain. So I had to transpose my knowledge from Boston Market Days over to World Wraps, a startup that had no existing systems. It, it was not easy. Right. Um, and I guess my biggest takeaway up to that point, how it, how it transformed me, as you say, or has how I developed was my focus on not only my professional development, but how do I make those around me, i.e. the unit level managers, more successful in their professional development? What What is my role in other people's success? Yes, I love this. We recently had the author of uh, expand your circle on the show, Matt Pepsil, who's also like they call him the AKA Godfather of PI predictive, predictive index, which is a behavioral analysis platform. I know it. Are you super love that platform? I'm I'm jockeying for them right now. Uh, I nice. love what they're doing there. But um, in that book, um, expand your circle. He talks about the really like what he, what he's trying to the message he's trying to get out is exactly what you're sharing with us now is that your role as a leader is to lift up others around you. You That's can't it. you can't do it all yourself. You have to recreate yourself and others. That's it. You, and you got to pull yourself up before you can lift others to your point. Correct. So, and that's what I'm hearing from your stories. Like you're growing and you're realizing the next the the grow beyond where you currently are is through lifting others up, coaching. So your listeners may or may not want to uh, hear this next part, <laughs> but m- my goal was both. Um, altruistic as well as um, selfish. Why was it selfish? One of my goals in my career uh, on the personal side uh, was to get away from my business for a year and to take a break. In 2014, I took my wife and two boys to Spain for a year. We moved over there in Barcelona, Spain. And I get this question a lot, and I've spoken at a, a conference, a restaurant conference, on how do, you, how do you do something like a year getaway? Most people can't conceive of it. While I was gone, we had the best year uh, for our restaurant group up to that point. That is only achieved by creating partners, a culture, values, clear vision, clear mission, in systems, right? And the, our team fully believes in what we're trying to accomplish. And it, most businesses, in my opinion, make the mistake that the owner has to be the star or the focal point or the, the driver of all decisions. And that's just not the case. That's ego right there. That's ego. <laughs> yeah. Ego destroys companies. Right. And I mean, I lean, and that's one of the biggest lessons and probably one of the biggest pushbacks I get is I think that, I think the, the path to success is through partnerships. I, and I think it's because the industry is getting more and more and more and only continuously getting more and more competitive. You can't be the best by yourself anymore. I don't think so. Maybe 10, 15 years ago, 
I don't think the, the way the, the the how the expect expectation the bar is being raised on the industry. I don't think all the different things you have to be good at today to be the best. It's not just the four walls anymore. It's like no. it's it, it bleeds beyond the four walls. Well, also. What happens when I'm sick? What happens when I get hit by a bus? What happens when something tragic happens? Yeah. What condition do you leave the team in to uh, su- succeed after you have left? Yeah. So the selfishness was you were growing up. You're growing other people so you could get away. This exactly. I wanted. Uh, I had. I had become somewhat of a workaholic. And uh, didn't have pause, good pause buttons. My family was starting to grow. My kids were young, and I wanted to embrace them as well. I wanted to, as as, as hard as I go in business, I wanted to go hard with my family right. and be present, be attentive, be part of uh, a close knit family. And that was just one of my goals: is for us to get away. And I had to prepare my group two years before I left. In order to uh, achieve wow. uh, that goal, so two th- this was in 2014. So you started in 2012. Basically, you announced like in two years. No, I started the restaurant, my restaurant group, in 2002. Yeah, but I think I think you. What I heard is that two years before you left, you started grooming your team. Oh, correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so back to 2002. So you leave um, World Raps late 90s. Late 90s, I started contemplating my own venture for for the first time like started to think about investors i was trying to pull together resources to open up my own concept and while i was doing that i was training managers in from from different restaurants across the state with the california restaurant association like an independent contractor they hired me and they asked me to help do professional development and so i was doing that for I don't know, maybe six months when that suddenly turned into an offer to join the California Restaurant Association as their executive director. And for those who don't know much about restaurant associations, California is the largest uh, state restaurant association in the country, represents probably around uh, 20,000 locations across the state. Um, But um, for me... That was a new experience because associations are, are separated into two um, action areas. So lobbying efforts, trying to make sure the uh, politicians are enacting laws that are beneficial to business and restaurants in particular and not hurting us. And then the other area is education, compliance with laws, certifications helping the restaurant members right i was focused on the restaurant member side ceo was focused on the lobbying yeah. effort side yeah uh, i spent a little time with a restaurant association i won't say which one um my experience there was that i, I think it was around the time it was 2012 um i think that there was a movement happening where people were becoming less dependent on state-run associations because the the education side was abundant on the internet you no longer had to go to like the the information was there you know so like one of the legs that was starting to come out from underneath of these this three leg pillar like thing i do still think that the lobbying is really important though 
uh, having people, lawyers that are plugged in to, to be communicating to the, the, the restaurant owners of a state, this is what's going on. This is how you need to vote to, to vote in favor of the restaurant industry. I will also piggyback on that and say that it seems like a lot of those lobbyists are lobbying for larger restaurant groups, not independent restaurant groups. That, that is true aside from uh, – so the chains have their own lobbyists. California Restaurant Association is primarily existing because of the independence. Mm. The big chains will support some efforts, but they're doing their own thing. Uh, I would disagree that a well-run state restaurant association can continue to be relevant uh, in in a number of ways. But first, they have to have a budget to be able to uh, have resources. But California in particular... I'll give you an example. If you owned a restaurant, Eric, I would say, are you a, a member? Like, I'm a member, and I'm on the board, uh, so I'm an advocate. But uh, I'll get, uh, the type of information that they provide is critical for me and my team. I'll give you an example. Uh, do you know the top three current lawsuits that are prevalent in California uh, that are detrimental to restaurants. I can guess one of them is sexual harassment. Nope. Uh, not, that, <laughs> it's, it's part of it. I mean, yeah. it's happening all the time, yeah. but that's not one of the top three. Um, what is, where are they? Uh, post-termination workman comp claims. Okay. That's one. Uh, second one would be um, ADA compliance of your website. Your online presence has to meet certain ADA um, um, compliance issues. That's an easy one for uh, lawyers to go after because everybody, so many restaurants just outsource or create their own website, right? That's, that's for disabled people. For disabled people. people. What's the ADA stand for again? I always uh, American Disability Thank Act. You. That's right. And then uh, PAGA. Is the is a, a, a legislation in California that's been very detrimental to our industry? It stands for uh, Personal Attorney General Act. Essentially, this law has become uh, a money maker for lawyers. They utilize servers, bussers, hosts, any employee in a restaurant to attack or extract. Uh, um, money from restaurants in the form of your you, let's let's say you're it, typically from disgruntled employees, but uh, it could be any any number of scenarios where the lawyer says, "Hey, you know, if you don't feel like you were treated properly, uh, we can go after that restaurant for X, Y, Z claims because of this PAGA Act." Uh, allows the employee to um, go down a legal process that's very simplified. How much of this has to do with being in a very blue state? Um, I think that's a big part of it. I definitely feel like um, we're hearing and witnessing um, an environment in business where you're seeing unionization, you're seeing... uh, um, protests, you're seeing, you know, uh, fairness factors coming into play. You know, people ask me, you know, what are we going to do about it? I keep coming back with the same 
answer I have always had for the last 20 years is treat your people really well. That's it. Like, the, if, if your employees are disgruntled, it's, there's a reason for it. Yeah. Right? Like, do the right thing. So, yeah, I mean, this is – so I, I identify as a moderate. I'm, I think I'm right down the middle. I see pros and cons to both left and right. And I, I believe in conscious capitalism. I believe in capitalism. I don't believe, but the thing is, I, the one, but to what you said, if we change the culture, if we change, culture is exponentially capable of changing. Systems, processes, procedures, like that, that stuff is hard to change. Once it's set into motion, once those things are there, it's hard to change. If we can change the values of people, if we can give restaurant owners and business owners across the country values and how to take care of their people, you really don't need to lean on the government to have these systems and processes and procedures to take care of people. And right. that's, that's what, in my mind, that's what conscious capitalism is. It's using money, the, capital, the capitalistic system, to take care of people and to spread wealth exactly the way you have with your partners in this restaurant. And do you mandate that? Is it? It has to be a choice. Become laws because it has been choice up to now, and I don't know about you, but I don't know too many restaurant owners that are willing to give up. It's changing, equity and, and profits. And I think it's changing. It has to change. It's, I think it's changing. Oh. It's my goal to find those people. So more yeah. people. This is the mission. This is what I mean by inspire, <laughs> empower, transform the industry. This is what we're trying to do. Is like Good. we're giving people access to minds like yours, man. Like, and I think that's the only way we're going to change it because it has to be on the radar. Well, I'm living proof that uh, whether you call it an experiment or just my professional growth my experimentation with you know how do people respond what inspires people what motivates people to come into work each and every day and to give their best some people are motivated financially some people are motivated socially some people are motivated in many different ways I will say this one last jab on the restaurant associations. Uh, not all. Not, I'm not. I'm not trying to generalize because I know every association is led by different people. Um, it, but one experience I did, had is that I found that the, the association I was associated with um, was very mon- was very driven by monetizing the association, and I found that their priority were, was to their sponsors more than it was to the members of the association. Yeah, that's not. That's not cool. <laughs> and I and, and that was one of the things that really drove me away. Honestly speaking, it was that experience that is one of the reasons why I had this core value to, to really only promote the tools and services being referred to us organically. That I never wanted to put the, the, the sponsors ahead of the members, the listeners in my case. Yeah, it's, a, it's always a tough balancing act when your existence is codependent on... Yeah. Your your revenue stream, like right. who's who's paying the bills? Right? I didn't get that, and which is why I'm I'm trying to get away from. Like I I love my sponsors, grateful for my sponsors. Do not want to be dependent on my sponsors. I would love to continue to work with sponsors, obviously going forward. But I need other channels of revenue to keep me so I can stay honest. Yeah, you know, yeah. is kind of my thought process. But back to your story, um, I feel like you've you've shared a lot of the ethos of what the Tahoe Restaurant Group is today. With your with your values, how you structure your organization, um, how you like how you put the emphasis on building systems and then building people to to 
to manage those systems so you, you can remove yourself to work on the business, things like this, uh, to be able to find, I don't know, we, we've covered a lot, but you, you left the restaurant association or you're still associated with the association to this day, but in t- along your timeline, you started uh, the Tahoe Restaurant Group in 2002. Correct. So now I left the California Restaurant Association position in uh, 2000. A uh, good buddy of mine and I that had worked at Boston Market together decided to join forces and we opened up our very first restaurant in Las Vegas in 2000, end of 2000. And primarily I was drawn to the opportunity because one, my partner, he uh, was the leasing agent for the a casino in Vegas that we eventually went into. So he was leasing up spots for the casino. And he said, Ray, you know, you got to come take a look at this. The casino is willing to build out the restaurant for us. I was like, the entire thing? And he's like, yes. I was like, why would they do that? And he goes, they don't want to run restaurants. And, you know, there were all these other compelling reasons. And I get you all... You mean the restaurants are hard to run? <laughs> <laughs> so I got, I got excited. I put in my notice with the Restaurant Association I tell my wife, who almost starts crying because she definitely doesn't want to live in Vegas, and I was like, it'll be fine, we'll figure it out. Long story short, we open up uh, a, a, franchised, a franchised concept, and um, it, it, let's just say the environment inside a casino has primarily been about taking care of their gamblers the the casino guest and somebody could come in and they often use their rewards card and they build up points and due to their losses typically and they would come into our restaurant and they'd be like uh yeah i want a couple of pizzas just put it on my card uh use my points we'd have to apologize and explain we're not owned by the casino and they're like but i get everything free off my points from the other two restaurants inside this casino. And I was like, we understand, you know, we apologize, but you know, different agreement, different agreement. Yeah. And they just walk right out. Oh man. And so we approached the casino and we said, look, this is something we didn't understand or we didn't see coming. You know, you're going to, in the way you reimburse your other restaurants that you run, we need some type of reimbursement or else we can't attract your casino guests. Yeah. And they're like, no, you're just going to have to figure it out. Eventually, they gave us like 25% uh, reimbursement, but that was an, it, was it, it fell way short. Yeah. And we closed our doors within a year. Oh, man. And that was a big uh, rude awakening because up to that point, I had opened up easily uh, well, well over, over 100 over restaurants. 100. Wow. And it, it's a blow that, that you have to question you know, yourself. Did right? I learn anything? Yeah. What did I learn? <laughs> yeah. And so the big learning lesson was, uh, found in the lease, right? Mm-hmm. If we had done more due diligence and understood the con- the casino environment internally with how they give away free food and beverage, like it's obvious now they yeah. give away free alcohol. We should have asked more pointed questions. Well, that's the thing with this industry is you just don't know what you don't know until you and there's so much diversity. So, so you're exactly right. However, through 
programs like yourself, through social media, through uh, a mentor network. I highly advise uh, your listeners in new restaurateurs to surround themselves with their mentors and advisors. This is what restaurants, I don't know if you, if you caught the mic flag here, a melting pot of mentors. Okay. Yeah, this is what it's all about. And that's really what I'm trying to do with Restaurant Stoppable Network is to invite all my past guests to this place to share information with each other, but also to pay it forward to the next generation. Yeah. You know? And that's what we're trying to build. I 100, I 100% agree because that's what I'm trying to do. We have to bring this, we have to accumulate our knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, man, for sure. So let's just do this because I, I feel like there's so much we can talk about, but I also just kind of want to go through. So to, what is rest or um, Tahoe Restaurant Group today? You have four concepts plus a fifth licensing concept. Correct. So we're at major ski resorts in Tahoe, uh, Palisade, which was formerly Squaw Valley, North Star, which is run by Vale, uh, and here at Heavenly in South Lake Tahoe. And then Wally's is a licensed concept that mirrors our base camp recipes and systems and resources. Got it. So... Um what came first? Like, what was the order of opening these restaurants? Yep. So, following the closure of, so the good news is, uh, from the failure of my first restaurant comes learning, right? And that's how you want to look at failure. It's not a loss. It's not sure financially I lost money, but if you you want to fail, you fail quickly. Right, you notice I didn't run that restaurant for years and years and just bleed money and struggle. I knew I wasn't able to turn it around. I knew I had made a, a, a bad agreement with the landlord, and we got out of it. I loaded up a truck with all our equipment, all our furniture, and we signed a deal in Tahoe in 2002. Opened the doors of Fireside Pizza, my own concept that we created. Uh, I hired an amazing chef uh, as a consultant, a good friend of mine. He has a very successful consulting practice in uh, San Francisco called the Culinary Edge. Uh, his name's Aaron Novashen, amazing, amazing guy. Um, and he helped me create our first concept, and the doors opened in December of 2002. And uh, so Fireside is the first one. Rubicon Pizza at North Star was our second one. Uh, shortly after that, I opened up a Makuni Sushi out of Sacramento. Uh, the Makuni Sushi group is very popular, very well-known, very well-respected group. Uh, we partnered 50-50 and opened up a sushi concept there. That After the 10-year lease ran out, we decided to close it. Uh, following Rubicon and Makuni, we opened up Base Camp in 2012 so 2002 Fireside 2007 Rubicon uh, 2012 Base Camp 2014 Azul Latin Kitchen okay got it um, and then you had that the the sushi concept 06 to 08 two years 06 to 2016 10, 10 years got it got it and uh, what was the reason for getting out of that you know um uh, McCooney, we we'd went through together, we went through that rough period of 08, 09, 2010. And so uh, operating for the McCooney group in Tahoe was very seasonal. 
and they were used to year-round consistency, and their numbers were much more consistent and stronger in, in Sacramento and the Bay Area. Got it. And it just didn't make sense for us to continue. Even yeah. though we had decent revenues, it was a difficult grind uh, to sustain. So you, you can't find too many great sushi chefs right. in ski towns. Right. So looking at, like, so you have 02 to 07, five years between Fireside and Rubicon. Um, you, you kind of opened the, the sushi and the Rubicon close to each other as far as time. Uh, then another almost six years goes by before you open a third concept. And then another two years goes by before you open a fourth with Azul. So are you, what is your vision for your restaurant group? Are you trying to scale and grow beyond this? Or like, are you comfortable with four? Like it doesn't look like you're really trying to build to scale. So there, I, we definitely have concepts, uh, two of the concepts we could absolutely scale and grow, but I'm at the point in my career where, um, Currently, I sit on. So, how do I spend my time today? Uh, I'm I'm transferring my position, my responsibilities, my uh, anything I have authority over to my six internal partners, and grooming them to be my replacement. Mm. While I'm doing that, uh, and they they are fully taking the reins, um, I also sit on six boards. Uh, all of them are restaurant related. So I sit on the California Restaurant Association board. I sit on uh, the North Tahoe Community Alliance board here in, in Tahoe. I sit on uh, Spot On, which is a leading POS cloud based technology provider, uh, all in one platform for restaurants, similar to competitors Toast. Yep. Um, I sit on the board of a technology company called voice plug they utilize uh voice ai to uh take transactions over the phone or through the drive-through all using a voice bot and i saw the the moby munch too Um, moby munch was years ago um I, i that was a company that i started with a partner gosh that would have been back in 09 I think it was 2009, 2010, during that period. That's a whole nother whole podcast. A whole well, nother podcast. I don't know if we want to get into that since it's not still going around. But there, just give me one key takeaway from that. Biggest uh, lesson. You know, we, we jumped on board the food truck craze, and we modeled the company uh, after what we thought was going to be a huge win, which was being the landlord on wheels. So we, we outfitted brand-new trucks. And we wanted to teach people how to run food trucks because it was new. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is 09 to 2014. So it was yeah. like, this was a hot part of the industry at this point. Super hot. We rolled out a couple hundred trucks. What we didn't anticipate is food trucks has the same, if not greater, failure rate oh as restaurants. I try to steer people away from food trucks. Yeah, personally. it's very, very challenging. It's a logistical nightmare. It, and- it should only be utilized. My, my takeaway in food trucks is it needs to be complimentary. Like, say, for example, if Azul had a food truck, it'd be for weddings, corporate events. Promotion. Promotion, marketing, that sort of thing. Right, getting your brand out to the people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, I think the the... the, the the world of regulation also caught up to food trucks and the benefits of the, the early renaissance food truckers 
weren't there four or five years into it because the regulations got up. It was, it was a very challenging environment to do business in. Right. And you also better have some mechanical skills to boot. Tons of mechanics. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, think, you think running restaurants are hard? I think food trucks takes it to another level. I think level. pop-ups and ghost kitchens are the new food trucks, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's, I think that's how they should be treated. If you can't open a brick and mortar, start where you can. Most people could have a friend who's in the industry that will let them do a pop-up. Yeah. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. I like that. You're experimenting and growing and learning through the challenges you have of operating a restaurant for a month. Right. You know, yeah. get that experience. Got it. So one question I had as you were talking about, um, you know, your, your vision for how you're looking to uh, pass the baton to your current partners. Correct. Um, you started as the CEO sole proprietor. I started off as an LLC from day one. Each restaurant is its own LLC. Okay. And the reason you, you, you want to think about your structure is you do want to have, keep in mind growth. Uh, where, where is growth headed? LLCs are structured in a way that you can allow additional members fairly easily uh, allocating different levels of equity along the way. But uh, it's also for protection, right? Uh, limited, limited liability companies offer um, owners different protections than sole proprietorships. I don't want to go into those details. Like I advise people getting lawyers and right. you know making sure they get the right advice. Um, but you were the sole owner of the LLC when you well, started. The, no, the no. very first one um, I started with my partner from Boston Mark that I mentioned. That's right. And same partner in we, Los Angeles or Las Vegas. Uh, yes. Got it. Yes. And uh, we did that one. He lived in Vegas during the time I moved up to Tahoe to to, this ru- is to run it. This is Fireside. Got it. Yeah. Um, so I guess where I was going with this, how the one I think big challenge with a lot of owners is that somebody has to still be the visionary. Somebody still has to have the vision. So is it safe to say that you are the visionary in this restaurant? Yeah, I, I, my people ask me all the time. You know, oh, so you're a chef. I'm not a chef. Right. I'm not a foodie, as ironic as it sounds. After open, being a part of 150-plus openings, I'm the business side, the visionary, the, 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 the leadership component that is the glue behind uh, scaling an organization. So with a lot of partners, who steers the ship? Partnerships are very tricky. You have to have very defined roles. And oftentimes, uh, that should be derived by your experience level and your skill set. But a lot of owners don't know what their skill set is. Not a lot of people in general aren't self-aware. Right. right. Yeah. They really, it's, it's challenging. Uh, for me, I have always been the uh, sole operator. My partner was not an operator until later on in his career. Um, but... For me, it was very clear that I ran day to day. Got it. Yeah. Um, so I guess going forward, if, if with the current existing partners, if you wanted to scale, how would you go about ch- like choosing what the vision of the organization is? Is it a, a collective? Like, how do you do that? So I'll give you the example of Azul. Yeah. Uh, we had just opened up Base Camp two years prior. We knew the location was uh, uh, a premium location. We were doing very well at Base Camp. Can you describe the location, what made it premium, like where we are today, what makes us a premium location? Uh, for those of you that don't know South Lake Tahoe, 
it sits on the border of California and Nevada, where they meet. Yeah. And as you can imagine, on the on the Nevada side exists some uh, very large casinos. Like literally a foot over the border. Yes. <laughs> so let's put you, it this way: I was staying in California, and I could have thrown a rock at the Nevada. That's right. Casino. And it's walking distance from my restaurants. Yeah. So you have literally 5,000 hotel rooms within walking distance of this property. Yeah. Now, that doesn't explain why a lot of our neighboring restaurants aren't as successful as us. Mm. Yes, we have the foot traffic. Yes, we have uh, good visibility, good location. But you got to execute at the end of the day. Right. And this is why I put four walls marketing so high on the priority because it doesn't matter if you drive people to your restaurant because you can't, I mean, you get probably a lot of people here just on vacation, which is probably nice because there's a constant turn, but if they won't come back, if they didn't have a good experience. You're exactly right. Did I share with you our marketing budget? No. We don't have one. Oh, really? We don't do marketing. We don't spend money on marketing. You spend money on people, don't you? Spend money on our people. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I cut you short when I brought that up. But do you remember what you were trying to say before? Um, you, you, uh, you were asking uh, about uh, Part- lo- or lo- uh, partnerships? Or? Well, we, we, you started talking about location, and then I asked you why. But really what we were talking about was the vision. And when you have partners, and like how do you how, who steers the ship with that many partners? How do you know where you're going? Yeah. You, so you for, said clear, for, divine roles. For, for yeah. us, it was uh, super obvious because I was the guy – uh, with feet on the ground, my partner at Fireside lived in another city. Yeah, it's tough. So he helped uh, negotiate the lease, and 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 he uh, he would help in any area that I asked. But there's limitations to somebody who lives out of state. Yeah. So it was very clear what roles I had. All the roles. Uh, so by the second store, I pretty much went on my own. Okay. So Rubicon. Uh, I invited the chef to invest, my one of my first partners uh, internally that started off as a line cook, uh, worked for me for four or five years, and then he went to culinary school, came back, helped me open up Rubicon and Makuni Sushi. Got and so, uh, yeah, there, our roles have always been very clear. Got it. So the one thing that hasn't really come up, and this is something that I've been kind of itching to talk about before we get to like where you are today and where you're headed fully. Um, the fifth license, the fifth concept is a licensed restaurant. So it's like, what is a, what is a licensed restaurant? So, uh, you would think of it similar to a franchisee franchisor relationship, except much more simplified. So with a franchise relationship, you have legal obligations and responsibilities to, for example, assist the franchisees with site selection, assist them with um, uh, marketing and a budget for marketing and advertising and uh, uh, training the new store. Uh, the, the, each, each new store that opens, you, you supply a certain amount of training resources. With a licensing agreement, I'm saying you can use our recipes, use our systems, we'll train you and some of your team members and it's minimal support. This is, you only want to do this when, uh, your, your licensee has in-depth experience and is very familiar with running restaurants. I wouldn't advise it for anyone 
just starting out. Well, it's also a different brand. So if things don't go well, it's not going to reflect poorly on your restaurant. That's either. exactly right. Yeah. So um, in full, I don't know what I'm allowed to say, but it, you mentioned Wally's. I think you said that, right? Yeah, Wally's, Dan, okay. Dan Dreyer and his yeah. team, phenomenal, great partners. I consider them partners. Right. So Dan is who referred me to you, and Dan is basically operating your 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 recipes, your intellectual property in his restaurant. Correct. But it's a different concept and he's using different back of house systems and processes. So I love the way that Dan took the approach. He, he basically went to people who do what they do best and he asked and he, he plugged those things into his business, into well, his brand. He, he and I spent some time looking at Folsom Lake bowl, which his family owns. And I said, Hey, look, <clears throat> I do have concerns. You run a restaurant in your establishment, but it's it, it, there's a lot going on here. There's multiple bars. There's a bowling alley. Like, come spend some time with me up in Tahoe, which he did, and he brought his right-hand kitchen uh, manager. And after spending a month, six weeks with us, um, I advised him to incorporate or give Restaurant Systems Pro a call oh. because I was, I was friends with David Scott Peters. Okay, I didn't realize you were how they found restaurants. Yeah, Systems I turned them on to them, and uh, Dan fully embraced their their uh, their they're great at providing, especially new restaurant tours. Any literally any restaurant tour that doesn't already have the systems uh, with the foundational component of what a restaurant needs. Right. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of uh, how they've supported Dan and his team. And Dan is part of the elite restaurant group now yeah. uh, with Restaurant Systems Pro. Yeah. and I, But I, I love the approach that they took of just like – and you, I, I didn't know that you were a part of coaching them through that. Like if you have no restaurant experience, if you're not a restaurant person, if you didn't spend tens of years in the industry learning systems, processes, procedures, if you don't have your suite of, of processes that you're plugging into your new business – Go to a company that exists that does this and use their systems. And guess what? You likely aren't going to be able to build software around the systems that you created, right? These systems are they're they're, they're baked into software. They're an op- they're a path through the obstacle, is what I like to say. Of well, running a restaurant. The the flip side of doing what Dan did with our licensing agreement and Restaurant Systems Pro is this is the biggest reason why. Franchise systems like McDonald's, Jack in the Box, Taco Bell exist. They're handing you a concept with systems already incorporated. Yeah. That is the reason why we have such large chains yeah. in, in this industry. Now, not everybody can afford uh, going out and buying a McDonald's right. or Taco Bell or whatever. But what I love about this with your license your licensed restaurants is that it's another way to monetize your intellectual property. It's another way of saying, Hey, we don't just have to run restaurants. We can take what we've figured out this code. We've cracked our recipes, our excellence, and we can sell it to people in different markets who we don't compete with. Exactly. And I don't even know how the, I mean, I'm sure that the, how you structure that as far as the pricing, all this stuff is like pretty private. So we don't need to get into that, but it's another business model. It's another way to take to break the, the 1905 approach of just making your 10%, yeah. right? Like how yeah. do you take these assets and how do you monetize your, your, your worth? It is. And I, I don't advise, uh, jumping into licensing or franchising, uh, for groups that think, Oh, that's a nice way to expand my concept. You, 
literally need years of experience within a franchise system to understand that uh, owning a franchisor or being a licensor is not, uh, oh, use my IP and, and go be successful. It requires um, an oversight and a skill set that you need to ensure your your licensee or your franchisee is successful so if they fail you fail yeah yeah um i think we're at a good spot to take another break to thank our sponsors we're going to come back and start talking about i want to i want to dive in finally into this this we talked a lot about these things but the four critical pillars we're going to officially unpackage those and then uh, anything we didn't discuss that you're hoping we would now i'd like to talk about the future and where the industry is headed in your opinion recently on the show you've been hearing it come up often Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. P. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. This episode made possible by Owner.com. Owner.com is the quickest and easiest way for your customers to order directly from you without the expensive 30% commission fees. Look. With Owner.com, you'll save thousands every month when customers order through your website and branded app instead of third-party delivery apps and reward your customers with a built-in loyalty program that turns them into regulars who order again and again. Owner.com also helps you rank higher on Google with world-class search engine optimization built specifically for restaurants with an AI-powered website. We cannot forget lists. Build a huge list of people who live near your restaurant fast and market to that list on autopilot with text and email sent at the perfect time to help you grow sales and stay top of mind. Owner.com gives you everything you need to grow and market your restaurant online with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit owner.com slash unstoppable right now to book your free demo and see why thousands of restaurant owners trust owner.com to power their restaurants online. 
We're back, and uh, I feel like we have to talk about these four pillars because I did tease that we would come back to them. I feel like we've already kind of circled around the four pillars, which, again, are location, concept, management, experience, and capitalism or capital. Um, And then after that, you're just such a a wealth of of knowledge. Whatever you feel like we haven't discussed thereafter, I just want you to pretend like you're listening to this right now. Whatever you wish you – whatever you think you would want to know that – somebody listens to this might not know like that's what we're going to discuss okay uh so what okay back to these four pillars location concept management and capital i feel like we covered a lot of this already just organically in the conversation so i'll I'll pick up uh i think people generally understand location if you're a new restaurateur absolutely get an experienced lawyer that has leasing experience to uh go through that lease today my leases are 100 pages long So it's not like uh, you should take it lightly. It's one of the most important things you could do. Uh, Regarding concept. So we've all heard this story before. Uh, The the new restaurateur wannabe comes up and says, you know, I got this great concept. Uh, You know, I I come from such and such place and uh, we made such great you know, ethnic food at, at this location in my country. And eventually they want to, they follow their passion to create a restaurant that is food that they grew up on. Right. Something like that. So a friend of mine came to me and said, um, Hey, this Domino's just went under. Uh, I want to take over the space. And I was like, great. What do you, what do you want to put in there? And he says, well, a pizza restaurant. I was like, Domino's just failed. <laughs> like, let's think about this for a second. He goes, no, no, my pizza is so much better. And I was like, no, no, let's think about the broader market demand for what is needed in our town. So I highly encourage people to not follow, you know, uh, uh, their wants and needs yeah. in terms of food, but ask the question and map out the way the chains do it is you you go into a uh, uh, South Lake Tahoe, for example, and you would map out every restaurant within a one and three mile radius. And then you would total, oh, there's seven Mexican restaurants. There's eight pizzerias. There's six uh, sushi concepts, whatever. Ten burger joints. Ten burger joints. You're looking for a window of opportunity and you're asking, you're surveying the audience and saying, what's missing? What doesn't right. exist? Right. And you'll arrive at, oh, it's uh, ramen. We don't have ramen or right. whatever. Right. And follow the market demand, not your personal wants and needs yeah. when it comes to concept. I agree with that. I, I would say that if you're one of the, if you're a chef, right, and you're thinking maybe, or you have a vision and you're just like married to this food that you, you've had this dream your entire life to do. Maybe consider looking for the market where they're not doing that. If you're That's if right. you're so married to it, go to the market where you are needed and wanted. That's right. But take if, if you're if your concept's so good, give it legs. You know, That's like right. go to where it will work. Um, so then you have to ask once you get past uh, the the concept itself. There's this concept concept development. How do you create a menu? How do you uh, position? Uh, your your average check in, in in a given location. How do you uh, create the decor, right? What's the guest touch points? 
But more critically, and just as important, what are the staff touch points? What do you it, mean by that? If it, We're sitting in one of my restaurants right now, so we can easily look over at the kitchen. And there's a couple employees standing in front of the expo line. Is that expo line built correctly for them to have efficiency and productivity when we're super busy? Not when we're just slow and you know medium level of business, but when we're cranking. So it's like the, the steps of service, but steps to serving your staff. So it's the steps to equip them okay. to be able to execute. So how are your booths organized? How is your bar laid out? If you glance over at my bar and... Unfortunately, it took me 15 years to figure this out, and it wasn't. I wasn't even the one that figured it out. It was a bar manager. We have, in, in every restaurant I've ever worked, you, you can look over, Eric, and see where that uh, margarita machine is on the counter. Yep. Next to it on the left is a door. There's a door in the middle of our bar, bar that leads to a storage unit where we house all all our alcohol. So instead of taking 50 steps to dry storage downstairs or upstairs or in the very back of the restaurant, we finally put it in the freaking bar so that bartenders are loving life and take two steps to grab a new bottle. Yeah. Building out a floor plan that's like ergonomic and makes that. That's it. Just, you know, economic, like steps. How many steps does it take to execute the job? So Um, the chains are brilliant at this and the independents need to learn yeah. from those who, who've gone before them. It's funny. So we had um, Stephanie Robson on the show. She is a professor at uh, Cornell, and she taught uh, restaurant design both front of house and back of house. And it's amazing. Listen to that episode. It, just look up Stephanie Robson, like uh, restaurant design, uh, if you haven't listened to that episode yet. But when when you really take the time to like look at these variables of like, is this restaurant laid out right? Like, where where does the delivery come? Like, is there an easy way to get food from the truck to inside the restaurant? Once it's in the restaurant, do you have to bring it to the other side of the restaurant to get it into the walk-in? Or is the, is the walk-in right next to the back door? You know, like, food should only move in one direction. Yep. And it should go out of people out the front door. Yep. Yep. Comes in the back door, goes out the front door. <laughs> yep. um, and like when you start thinking, like you just start to realize that so many locations are so bad. Yep. Like when you really look at that, like there's no flow. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So that that kind of gives you a broad view of concept. I could dive into. Yeah, sure. You know. You're welcome back anytime. My <laughs> so we, we covered location, I feel like, pretty good. Um, you, you got into concept pretty good. I love that idea of, of giving your, your staff the tools they need to be success, successful, uh, staff touch points. Uh, management experience. So. Systems. I would uh, I, I would uh, suggest that there needs to be uh, someone. Maybe it's Restaurant Systems Pro. Maybe it's um, another organization. I know I know how I do it, but at each one of my concepts, uh, think of uh, conducting a restaurant audit of the systems that exist. So let, let's start in the back of the house. Every restaurant at its core must have a, a prep um, prep sheet to start their day. Right. In other words, every ingredient that exists in the restaurant on a cook line has to be prepared. Right. Right? So, sounds simple, but how do you establish appropriate PARs on that right. checklist? How do you delegate the tasks? How do you train the task? So, materials and 
systems to support your staff becoming highly successful and efficient. Um, that starts with their training. So you got to have training manuals. You have to have a job descriptions. You have to have par sheets. You have to have a purchasing guide. You have to have an ops manual. Where do you get this stuff from? I'll bring it up again. You're very familiar with Restaurant Systems Pro. If you don't have it in your personal experience, they are a one-stop shop to, yeah. to grab those items. I'm worried to say this out loud, but I feel like by the time this is live, I feel like I'll have the blessing. But I, becoming very familiar with Restaurant Systems Pro, um, there is a really great chance Restaurant Unstoppable and Restaurant Systems Pro will be collaborating. That way, if you join Restaurant Unstoppable Network, you will get all those manuals as part of your entrance in. And uh, a little teaser, I want to build out a, a tier to this re- to the network where if Eric Cacciatore is going to five from zero to five restaurants in five years or less, this is exactly how he's doing it. And I'm going to have strategic partners. I'm going with Restaurant Systems Pro because this is for Eric Cacciatore based off of who I am. I'm not a systems person. I'm the kind of person that's going to contract that out and give, I need, I need a checklist to follow personally, you know? So if that sounds like you and you're listening to this and you're a visionary, you're a dreamer, you're socially, emotionally intelligent, but you're not like mechanically intelligent or systems intelligent, then I think what, what you're talking about and what we want to do in the network is for you. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's much needed. Yeah. Because you want to see people succeed. I want to see people succeed. There's nothing more heartbreaking than, Somebody spending their life savings, opening up their dream restaurant, and it doesn't work within six months. Right. Like that's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, and it's hard to recover from. I mean, you you sacrifice so much. You refinance homes. You remortgage homes. That's you right. Know? Like it's it's you want to do it right the first time. Yeah. yeah. Which leads us to capital. Well, uh, let <laughs> or me. Or did see. I cut you short? <laughs> so management systems and experience. So. Um, I'll give you an example of what I mean by management experience because there's there's a big difference between leadership and management. Right? Management, you're tackling and blocking and executing on projects or tasks. Right? It's very straightforward, black and white. Leadership is the soft skills behind inspiring people, motivating people, guiding people, coaching, coaching, teaching, mentoring. And those are very different, two different skill sets. Systems help on the management side, right? I had a dentist friend come to me and said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at the end of my career. I'm selling my practice, but my dream has been to open up a restaurant. Can you help me? And I said, uh, you try to talk him out of it first. <laughs> I, well, I, I said, sure, I'll, I'll help you, but you have to help me likewise. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I have this passion for clean teeth, and I want to open up a dentist's office. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, exactly. (laughs) What are you talking about? You think running a restaurant's easy? (laughs) And so I talked to him. He goes, well, you know, share with me why it's so hard. And I I would give him role play scenarios. So uh, it's a Saturday night. You've got a busy busy, uh, Italian restaurant. And, uh, you know, your 17-year-old hostess calls out because she's going to prom. And uh, two of your servers uh, were dating, and they broke up, and neither of them want to work together. So now you're down three people on a Saturday night. You're scrambling to get replacements in. When was the last time you managed a team of 15, 20 
you know, call it 17 to 28 year olds. Yeah. Right. What's your experience level with that? And, and you know, you, there, there's so many scenarios I could bring up uh, that take place in restaurants that it, it's mind-boggling, yeah. you know, and people just can't grasp. So I always recommend come hang out a week with me. You really want to open up a restaurant, see what the real world is. And we're, we're what I believe, you know, we have a tight uh, running ship. That would be a great show. Scared straight restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy. Well, I would love, so, so we already kind of get that with, uh, who's the famous television personality, uh, Hell's Kitchen, uh, oh, I know Ramsey. Talking. Yeah. So Ramsey. he, he kind of already fits that, the drama and the, and the, uh, uh, emotions that fly around restaurants. I don't believe that's uh, a healthy way to look at our industry because there are a lot of positivity uh, examples. Uh, He's starting to change his march a little bit. He's not marching to the same beat he used to. I think he that he kind of played out the the tyrant, and I think that the the world. I think this is an example of the world moving away from that, where it's not good for his brand. And I think his publicists were probably like, "Time for you to be more gentle on TV." Yeah, like, yeah. you're seeing. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I notice the new version of him is a lot more gentle than the old version. Yeah, I haven't seen the new version, but I would love to put together or be part of uh, a concept that I've been working on, where um, a group of restaurants uh, that are operating at a at a high level that are validated through a restaurant audit that contain the necessary systems, contain strong management and leadership and let others come and stage and learn uh, the front of the house, the other components, not just the chef piece. How do we do that? Well, I got some ideas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So can we wrap up management experience? So management experience, um, not only do you have to be a good manager, a good leader, but you got to be able to teach, you know, your replacement. Teach uh, how do you how do you coach or teach a busser to become a great server, and how do you teach an average server to become a great one, and and bartender and all these numerous positions in this in this restaurant, uh, because maybe in your career you haven't spent much time teaching people. Uh, so management systems are much more than just the paperwork behind it. It's also uh, your leadership philosophy, your leadership style, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I did a great episode with uh, Nick Cirillo that I always echo. And it's, it's this idea of building tangible framing for growth in your organization. So like literally if you get hired as a busser, like you pointed out, and you want to become a general manager, like here's the path to get to that point. Yep. Yeah. I, I kind of heard that in what you were sharing. I love that. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Um, capital. Yes. Time right? to talk about capital. So countless times I've seen uh, many re- new restaurant owners with great intentions uh, raise money, build out a restaurant, and come in over budget. It's just, uh, you know, whether it's the contractor that went wrong or the oversight of the build out or uh, restaurants are expensive. Yeah. Okay. So um, many restaurants fail because they open their doors and suddenly they have no more fuel or, right. or capital to uh, cover payroll, to uh, 
maybe they want to do some marketing right. and advertising. Maybe they need to revamp and adjust their menu. And so now they're having purchasing problems. Right. Um, capital, everybody underestimates how capital intensive this industry is. Right. Yeah. And this is a, one of my biggest lessons. They say, whatever you think it's going to take to open, double it. And then whatever you need to run your business for a year and a half with no money coming in, you got to be able to operate in the red basically for a year and a half is what they say. Well, you can do that. Well, who has that deep of pockets? Millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> and, and who's getting into restaurants? Non-millionaires. <laughs> yeah. They want to become millionaires. Right. So uh, the, here's one piece of advice that I'm constantly finding myself giving. Um. I'll ask, okay, how much money do you have to invest in your restaurant? They're like, well, I'm taking out a, a, a line of equity on my house, and I've saved, you know, 250000 so I've got half a million to open up, you know, a, a restaurant at 1,500 square feet. And I said, I reply, so you're using all your capital? And they're like, yep. I said, No. <laughs> get get a couple of investors, family and friends, pull some money together and use your money last when you're in serious need. Yeah. Right? You you you're the safety net. Right? Your investors understand risk. Hopefully you find investors that if you lose them, if you unfortunately were to close your doors and lose their investment, they're not going to suffer. They're not going to go homeless. They're not giving you their last a uh, uh, bit of savings, yeah. right? So they're, they're investors invest for a reason. They take risks. But don't use all your own money. And then the second mistake they make is uh, trying to take on too much debt at the very forefront of their new venture. And now they can't service that debt. Right. And it's very stressful. Yeah. I've been echoing for years now that the two things that determine, that determine growth is cash flow and people. If the cash flow isn't there to justify the, the, the growth, then don't do it. If the people aren't there to carry the growth, then don't do it. Because you need the cash flow and you need the people to, 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 to grow. Like Absolutely. You can't do without those two things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the, what, is the, what is the best thing to circumnavigate this? Is it just to start smaller or to get more cash? Well, fortunately, there's... Um the popularity of Kickstarter, more and more people are uh, willing to um, um, open up to investment in their community. So yeah. if you can project out to your community, I think more and more, more and more people are willing to invest or, right. or support. Like, for example, I know a group in Reno who uh, was running short on their opening dollars to get their place open. And so they... Uh, pre-sold a hundred thousand dollars worth of gift cards. Yeah, I love that idea. Yep. Yeah, that's not the first time I've heard that. Yep. I love that. That's a great way to get liquid fast. So you want to be creative at the end of the day. Um, Chef Rotoro did that in um, in Seattle. I don't know if that name sounds familiar to you, but he sold like tons and tons. He had a huge following because he was a he was a popular chef for other restaurants. And he took that following and he sold like I think like almost like fifty thousand or something like that worth of gift cards just to like get open. That's a great approach. Yep, I love yep. that. Um, I'm going to take this opportunity to get a little selfish because you, when you said like lean on your community, so I've been pretty transparent about trying to take restaurant stoppable 100 full time on the road. I already came. Record all my interviews on the road, but I was going to get an RV, 
and I was going to live out of the RV and go from interview to interview and really take a journalistic approach, I was not approved for my loan. Um, my debt to income ratio is killing me. I was $200,000 in debt when I became a commercial pilot. Um, and I've been, I paid off a hundred thousand dollars in my debt, but still my debt to income ratio, I think it's because I'm self-employed and I don't have like a track record of like, anyway, um, if you want to support restaurant unstoppable by like sending me ten thousand dollars <laughs> well uh, i'm not asking you i'm saying if you're listening to this um like i'm just putting it out there because i feel like uh, people tell me like you have enough people that listen to your show that would probably donate some cash to help you get the money you need for a down payment to well, get this rv what about the other option so let's talk creativity here now that i know you now that i've been introduced to you now that we've kicked off uh the, the, this relationship you're more than welcome to couch surf at my place yeah. next time you're in the Tahoe area. Dan Dreyer would completely host you. And so you can book hotel rooms through yeah. restaurant owners. Right. You know, that's one option. The other option is I would donate gift cards from my restaurants to you that you could resell. Oh, that's You know, so for example, $100 gift card to Azul, you sell it for 75 bucks, right? Like, that's very commonplace online these days. Yeah. And if you have a couple hundred restaurants that you can get to donate a yeah. hundred bucks, that's 200,000 right there. <laughs> yeah. Right. So if yeah. you get to two, let's th- continue that conversation. Okay. So you've got my interest, but uh, <laughs> where I'm at right now. So at, at the end of this road trip, uh, I'm, as we're recording this, it's October 26. I'll be back in New Hampshire in two days. I'm moving out of my apartment in the next three days after that. And I'm going to be basically, my plan is to couch surf and stay in Airbnbs and just go. So if you're listening to this, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. If you have a spare bedroom or a couch for me to crash on, I'm coming to your city next. That's what's going to steer the ship. (laughs) Uh, And uh, back to your story and your knowledge and what you have to share with us. Is there anything you have not shared with us today? You know, if you want to, if there's there's something that you think you have that is, you know, the, the younger version of you is listening to this and you wish you had that information then what is that information i think my largest learning lesson in my career i grew up in this industry where you know your boss said jump and you said how high you know run how fast type of thing and times have changed right and compensation motivates people but what does that compensation consist of? So the, the bloodline of your business are your frontline people. It's your people in general. I'm obsessive about emphasizing invest in your people, take care of your people, and the returns are multifold. Mm. Namely, when I chat with my team, they'll tell me, Ray, we do so much more than my last employer. You don't even understand. So they're comparing their experiences in in their life. And why wouldn't you as a business owner want to leave a legacy or a reputation that your people feel loved, your people feel cared for? Like that seems so basic, Eric, but I promise you, you and I could leave this this, uh, restaurant today walk down the street to five other restaurants, ask the staff, hey, do you love where you work? I would put money on that four out of five are going to say no. Right. And if you're doing it for the money, here's the truth is you'll never have enough. Right. It's like a drug. 
you're right. going to acclimate to that new lifestyle or that new whatever that new hit is. That's going to be become the normal hit. And you're going to need a higher hit to get that feeling, but it's, it's, it's going to get old. The love from other people never gets old. So the real question, I, I teach my team and we live by certain uh, rules and mantras and sayings. And uh, I'll, I'll share with you a couple. Uh, one of them is good paper makes good friends. So if you're doing a, an agreement with a manager and you're giving them an offer letter and you're letting them know what to expect, put it all in writing. Make sure you can refer back to it. So that that's one example. Another one is... Um, uh, let's see. Oh, I just lost, just lost my train of thought. Sorry. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come over with it again. But so the first one was good paper makes good friends. These are sayings, and this is around. I think what I said was, um, no matter how much money you make, you'll never be happy. But people, the love from people, never gets old. Is that true? Yes. Okay. That that. Uh, thank you for reminding me. So. I'm often asked, and, and they say, oh, what makes your group so special? Why does your team love uh, working for, your, for their company? And, and uh, how, do you, how do you get that family feel, et cetera, et cetera? And I said, look, uh, top of mind is we take care of our people. And the, the other saying that I was trying to think of is you cannot manage what you do not measure. And so they always want to know, how do you take care of your people? So how do we measure taking care of your people? I'll give you an example. Um, I ask managers to document on a daily basis, okay, in our daily recap, which employees stood out, which employees went above and beyond, which employees had a great attitude, which employees brought great vibes to the restaurant. And the way we reward, recognize, and appreciate has to happen weekly. Has to happen. It can't. It's not always daily because you don't want it to be forced. It's got to be genuine and sincere. But we're handing out movie passes. Hey, Eric, you did a great job busting today. But most of all, what I appreciated was I had three customers come up and said, "Eric's one of the hardest working bussers I've seen." Here's two tickets to the movies. It's those small little touches. So the manager documents, I gave two tickets to this this person for this reason. I I, uh, appreciated him in public with the team, you know, in a pre-shift. So we do, do, you know, gift cards to Starbucks, gift cards to sushi, gift card trades with other companies in our community. We celebrate baby showers in our restaurants. You're having a baby, we're treating, we're the host. Nice. We're, we're supplying the food for free. We had a wedding reception here a couple weeks ago for one of our assistant managers. She was bawling when I told her it's our gift to her family and, and attendees. She filled up the restaurant and everything was comped. Mm. How do you think that make, made her feel? Amazing. How do you think that made the rest of the management team feel and the employees that supported that evening. Yeah. We need support from people that we're surrounded with. The people that we're, we spend more time with the people we work with in restaurants and we do our own family. We need that same yeah. level of love. It's so, so I would, important. I would challenge your listeners to start documenting the ways in which they care for their yeah. team. Yeah. 
uh, I want to compound onto that. I think there's because you you said something. What gets measured gets managed. I think is what you said. Um, there's I know there's some apps, some like like scheduling app or like when you clock in after you clock in or before you clock in, you get asked on a scale from one to five. Where is your level of happiness today? So um, if you get people that are like clocking in threes, twos, you get push notified. Like the management gets notified. Somebody yep. here is not doing good. Like let's go yep. talk to them. Yep. Uh, I think, and if you get in fives, awesome. But sometimes you just don't know yep. when somebody's not, they're, they're flying below, you know, they're, they're good spot, you know, but so you need to like entice them to share. And technology is good for that. I wouldn't rely solely on it because the human touch is oh, yeah. checking in. Hey, how you doing it's today? Good backup, you know, it's good backup. Yeah. I love the way it's the directionally it's headed yeah. in the right place. Yeah. I think, is there anything that has not come out of today's conversation? Now's the time before I start wrapping things up and uh, asking you, I know we, we do like to talk a little bit about the future. You know, we've kind of covered your whole career. We covered like your, your, your business ethos and where you are today. We're, how do we go into the future more intentional? How do we stop becoming a reaction? A re, I, I believe we're, we're guilty of being a reactionary industry. We re, react to the market. We reacted ourselves into this corner. How do we go into the future more intentional and better? Well, I typically attend anywhere from two to four restaurant conventions on a yearly basis. I take a team of 10 to 12 managers to Vegas for the restaurant and bar show. It used to be called the nightclub and bar show. As a getaway, as a treat, as a learning professional development opportunity, they love it. And I take another group to the National Restaurant Show in Chicago, the biggest restaurant show of the year. I think it's crazy. It's yeah. overwhelming. <laughs> it's, it, I love it. It's like Mecca for restaurant yeah. owners. And while I'm there, you have to be a student of this industry and constantly be on the lookout for what's shaping and changing uh, the way we operate. And far and away, technology and robotics are, are being uh, developed in at, they're, they're at the forefront of what we're doing because it's never been a more difficult time to run restaurants than it is now yeah. as it relates to our margins. Right. Labor is going through the roof. Inflation's through the roof. Food cost is at its all-time high. You're going to have to learn as a restaurateur to work with less resources and do more. Right. And I think that's why tools like Restaurant Systems Pro, like toast like spot on are so important because when you invest in those 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 platforms you're almost investing in the process that you plug the people into right where like it's harder and harder to create systems that are as fine-tuned as those in today's world that integrate with the digital world you have the system built now you have to find now you can put your focus on finding the people and not being bogged down by the the, the build out of the process i would add to that that uh it's highly competitive uh, point of sale uh, world out there and as you do your due diligence and research it's critical that your team finds the tools uh, intuitive accessible easy to follow um, supporting them um, because there's a lot of technology out there and you just want to simplify it for them yeah. Um, was there a reason why you, you're working with Spot On? What is, what's going on with Spot On? So I'm an advisor for Spot On, um, along with Michael Mina and some wonderful, uh, highly rated restaurant tours. And 
we joined early on because we believed in the vision that they had and the commitment to supporting. They view themselves as partners with their restaurant clients. So, so what differentiates one technology company from another is the level of support. Yes. I was hoping you were going to say that. Yes. I was biting my tongue. And, and spot on has demonstrated that and they're fully committed 100% to when my team on a Saturday night is down, uh, something's wrong with the computer or there's a glitch or they're trying to run a report and it's not happening. When you call spot on, they answer the phone. Yeah. You know, it's not like call back on Monday from these hours. They're 24-7. Yeah. I really appreciate that and admire that. They're also continually investing in technology. Yeah. So they're constantly upgrading. They're constantly surveying us. They're asking us how can they improve. They take feedback extremely well. Right. I think, and, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, I'm just very impressed. Uh, they, they've, they've become... Uh, uh, one of the shooting stars in our in in the technology world in such a short period of time they've only been around you know five years at max yeah and and it's been uh, quite a ride yeah they've reached out I'll be honest to a sponsor in the past and I just like I was like I, I don't I've never heard of you I think this was like two years ago maybe and I was like I just I don't know enough you know and like right. I've hurt myself I've probably turned away more money than I've taken <laughs> honestly in retrospect well, but I'm happy to hear that you're talking good things about them because uh, now um, that that opens the door. Good, good. Uh, so technology is huge. Um, you know, labor market, the labor pool is shrinking, it seems, uh, following COVID. And people are trying new industries that were formerly in, in hospitality. So that's something uh, that your new restaurateurs are going to have to contend with. Um, Can you blame them? Well, it you know... It, it has only strengthened us. Like during COVID, we we had built such um, uh, what do you call points with our team that they were supporting us during the roughest time of uh, of our lives. Right? Like that, that was craziness. Yeah. And so, for those restaurant owners that uh, want support during the hard times, they better give the support during the good times. Yeah. And I think it's coming. I think it's changing. I think it was it's, it was forced. Uh, and I think we're headed back in that. We're, we're heading in that direction where, like, if we want to be taken seriously, we have to treat people seriously. You know, that's right. Um, so this has been a lot of fun. I'm gonna start wrapping up with these uh, these these hint, these uh, coined questions I ask all my guests. Are you ready? Yep. What is one thing about your restaurant, your values, your process, your systems that it's uncommon that makes you unstoppable? Something that if I could document today that absolutely makes you unstoppable. When you approach my team and ask them how, how they like their job uh, or their employer, uh, hands down, you're going to get a positive response. That separates us from all our competitors because I can't force them to care. I can't force them to uh, come in with a good attitude. Yeah. And people are like, how do you create that? Like, that's your culture, that's your values, that's your systems, that you have to show them concretely that this place exists to make their lives better. I like to remind people, your culture isn't what you write in an operations manual, it's what you do every day. It's the reality. Uh, What is 
so the mission statement is to change the world by inspiring, empowering, and transforming the industry. How have, and I think personally that we're going to transform the industry by personally transforming individuals. So on that note, how have you personally transformed? Who is Ray today versus Ray in 1991? Um, you know, that'd be interesting to hear how my, my leadership team would answer that question because they've <laughs> witnessed the last 20 years with me. Yeah. And if I had to guess, they um, would say that I've become more open-minded, more uh, flexible, whereas in the early 90s, I was doing it the chain way. I was doing it the way the big companies like, no, that's black and white. There's yeah. no room for interpretation. You either do it or you don't. Right. Whereas, uh, I'll give you an example. I had a manager, we were doing their review, annual review. And they uh, they were eager to see what kind of pay raise they, they were going to get. But they posed the question like, can I forego the raise? I'd like more pay time off. Years ago, I wouldn't even consider it. I'd be like, no, this is the way it what is. Were you Mandalorian? This is the way? I don't know if you know that reference, but it's a new Disney show. Up no, there. Anyway, no. Some people listening to this definitely got the reference. So... Uh, we discussed it, and we put some parameters by it, but this person took more time off and for, went without the pay raise. And at the end of the day, as long as I can pull it off and the team's not resentful for it uh, and we can make, make it work, why not do it? Yeah. Right? So I've become uh, less, you know, where I, I, I used to, early on I used to think leadership was about uh, being the disciplinarian, being uh, the account, holding people accountable. I've weighed the pendulum between accountability and sensitivity in the opposite direction. So accountability was super high for me, and I brought in more sensitivity as my career developed to where there was a good, solid balance. I love that. Fair but firm. I think balance is the answer to everything, man. I think the Eastern culture with uh, yin and yang figured it out, man. Uh, yeah, balance. Yeah. There's always that balance to be struck. Totally. Um, all right, we're almost there. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your <laughs> legacy. What are those three pieces of wisdom? Give your business away, which I've said already in this podcast. One. In other words... My transition out of this group is is handing it over to my management team. Sure, they're going to you know, pay me something for it, but I'm going to structure it to where they continue as leadership because I'd feel horrible bringing an outside investment group or new owners and saying, hey, you guys, you know, I sold out. Thanks a lot for all the years. Here's your new boss. Yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. So give it away is one. That's one. Two is li- live your life so that your legacy is meaningful. Uh, basically, what will you be remembered for, right? And and I've already expressed in this podcast that it's about taking care of your people. So that's number two, I would say. What's number three? Uh, number three, make sure all touch points of your business are win-win-win. So community, suppliers, shareholders, team members. I love this conversation. 
<laughs> uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Ray. Uh, and I'm really trying to get out of the way of deciding who becomes a guest on Restaurant Unstoppable. I think success recognizes success, and I think the industry should point to people who should be made an example of. So on that note, who do you believe I should talk to? Who do you respect and admire in this industry? If multiple names are coming into your head, do not be shy. Call them out to be featured guests on the show. Well, I had already mentioned uh, Aaron Novishen, who's the current. Wrote his name down. Yeah, he's the current um, CEO of Starbird Chicken. Uh, it's a concept out of the Bay Area that's wildly successful right now. He's also a co-owner in Pacific Catch, out of the Bay Area. Uh, so he's got wonderful concepts he could share his his experience uh and he's just a great human being he's he's somebody i consider a good friend um and mike hislop has always been a mentor of mine mike uh has been ceo of chevy's il Fernayo, corner bakery he sits on multiple boards he's also in the bay area uh, incredible. So those you said a Chevy like the car company or Chevy like a Chevy's Mexican okay uh, chain. Got it. is that two E's or two V's? C H E V Y apostrophe S. Okay. So Corner Bakery, Chevy's Mexican, and uh, Il Fernayo. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's he's touched many brands. Got it. That sounds familiar. Yeah, he's he's an incredible restaurant uh, industry. Uh, um, mentor for many people so i'm coming after aaron i'm coming after mike yep anybody else yep. uh i've probably got <laughs> a couple more there i don't want to cut you short you're doing a great job um i'll give you more names all right as i think about it look out aaron and mike i'm coming after you and if we listen to the to today's episode and we're inspired by you uh and maybe we want to come join your team and be a part of what you're doing here in tahoe maybe we're adventure seekers we love the mountains we love the the woods we love the the water What's the best way to get in touch with you to either ask questions or join your team? Absolutely. Look us up online, our websites. You can contact us uh, informationally. You know, you can apply online. You know, uh, give us a call. We're, we're here. We always have open arms. Yeah. And this is episode 1041. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 1041. We'll have a summary of today's discussion. Jared, you have your work cut out for you, man. We discussed a lot today. Uh, and we will link to how to connect with Ray in the um, Tahoe restaurant group. Uh, yep. Um, people. And, and <laughs> I'm more than uh, willing and um, feel fortunate to be able to share. Anyone's invited to come check out our, our restaurants, take a tour, sit down and chat. I'm more than happy to give back. Beautiful. This is where I say thank you so much, Ray. And there is no questioning, my dude. You are unstoppable. All right. Cheers. Thank you. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I loved today's conversation. This is the kind of stuff I'm after. I want to get all the Ray Villamans of the world on my show to share their values, to share how they've grown over time. And these are the type of people I'm trying to make an example of. This is how we're going to transform the industry is getting people like this on the show. Thank you so much, man. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please support what I'm trying to do here. We're 2024, man, is going to be my year. I don't want to jinx it, but like, I'm excited for what we have coming for you. We're basically launching Restaurant Unstoppable Network 3.0. 
where one of the biggest lessons I've learned is I, I can't do it alone. And I've actually invested in coaching and consulting to build out the framing of this network and to create different tiers and to really do it right. And really in the past, what we weren't doing right, there's so much content at Restaurant Unstoppable. There's literally a mountain of content and there's gold in the mountains, I'm telling you. So what we're going to try to do or what we aren't trying, what we are doing going into the new rendition of the network is we're going to mine this gold for you. We're going to give you buckets, playlists, organized content so you can be intentional with your listening. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know where to start. There's just so much content. Then the new rendition of Restaurant Unstoppable Network is going to be for you. Uh, If you sign up for Restaurant Unstoppable Network before the end of the year, we're going to honor the $29.99 a month rate. So now is the time to sign up because beginning in the new year, we're, we're going to increase those rates. We don't know exactly what those new rates are going to be because we're figuring that out as I speak, but we will honor the $29.99 a month rate and we're going to have live events in that first year as well. And we're also going to, we're going to do some cool stuff. I don't want to say too much now because we're figuring it out, but you're in for a treat. And as you're listening to this, I am fully moved out of my apartment. Actually, that's not true. I'm, I'm sitting at my desk in my apartment and my desk is literally the the only thing left in my apartment. I'm going to be living on the road for at least the next two years so I can take a much more, more journalistic, organic approach to this podcast and do it the way I've always wanted to do it. The plan is to get an RV. I haven't secured the RV yet. Uh, in full transparency, I'm trying to reconsolidate my school loans uh, and get that taken care of before I start putting, you know, burden on my credit report with an RV and a truck payment or whatever. I'm still trying to figure it out. But until I figure out my living situation on the road, I'm basically living out of my car and going to where I have opportunities. And if you have a spare bedroom or an Airbnb that you can donate to Restaurant Unstoppable for a short period, uh, any support I can get to keep this show honest would be greatly appreciated. Just shoot me an email, eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Um, and I'm really just trying to keep my my operational expenses as low as possible over the next couple months uh, to you know be able to get the best financial deal, um, highest interest rate. I'm, I'm trying to not put money on my credit cards, essentially. So getting vulnerable here, being transparent, but any support you have, please bring it my way and thank you in advance. All right. That's it for today. Uh, can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who helped make this podcast possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi for your copyright and editing. Uh, thank you, me, Callan Miola, for your your work as our community manager. And thank you to Anna Tazin with the Good Kind Consulting for your executive support and counsel. That's it. Until next time, peace out.